chained and imprisoned for the sake of the gospel, awaiting a trial for which he had no date, sat the Apostle Paul. And it was in these circumstances that Paul produced some of the most wonderfully enlightening, encouraging and challenging documents which now make up a large part of our New Testament. You know, God's purposes are so far better planned out than what we often realise. Uh, I'm pretty sure that if Paul was one of us and he was locked up in prison, what would we be doing? We'd be praying for his release, wouldn't we? And we'd be lobbying governments and, and lobbying whoever we could to try and get, get him out of prison because he's just locked up for his faith and, and we think that's a really bad thing. But it was actually God's plan for Paul to spend time locked up for his faith. And Paul himself knew that. Back in Acts chapter 21, it tells us what happened. Paul was actually in a place called Caesarea. And while he was there, a prophet named Agabus came from Judea. And and reading from verse 11 says this, And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Of course, it was Paul's belt. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. And the will of the Lord was done. Paul did go to Jerusalem and guess what? Right there in Jerusalem he was arrested. And we would go, oh that's terrible. But no, this was actually the will of God. And and he was then eventually sent to Rome for his case to be heard by Caesar. There's a big long story tracing it through and you can read it yourself in the Bible. Um, But uh, he eventually made it to Rome. And it was while he was in chains that Paul wrote so much of the New Testament, including Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, Philippians. And so in hindsight, I'm somebody who really thanks God that Paul was put in chains because some of the most enlightening parts of the Bible were written while Paul was in jail. Now, some of the letters that Paul wrote, when you read them, it's it's pretty obvious that word's gotten back to him that there's been some kind of trouble brewing in the churches that he's left behind, the churches he's planted in the past. Now, that might be a shock to you, that trouble might brew in a church. Uh, I don't think so, I'm being a bit facetious here. Uh, But it's it's obvious, just when you read his letters, it's obvious that word's gotten back to him, that there's trouble brewing, and so he writes to them to set them straight. And you can see that flavour coming through in a lot of his letters, but not in this one. The letter to the Ephesians is notably different in that it doesn't appear obvious that he's writing to them to set them straight. As I read this letter to the Ephesians, what I can see is a preacher overflowing with the good news that he needs to tell someone and he's got no one to tell. Right, here he is, he's locked up, he's probably already converted the, 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 his prison mates and probably already converted the, the Roman soldiers that he's chained to. And he needs to tell somebody else, so he, so he writes a letter. When you're confined to the one spot and you're not allowed out, 
you got plenty of time to think. Now, for me, in my past, that was when I used to drive tractors. And um, so when you're driving tractors, you always got plenty of time to think. Um, I didn't always think good thoughts. I used to plot perfect crimes. That's my confession. Um, but with Paul, when he was locked up and he had plenty of time to think, you know what he thought about? He thought about God. And when Paul had time to think about God, he had plenty to say. He had, and he had plenty to share. And so he just spills over with all of his praise to a God who has given him so much and who has poured out so many spiritual blessings. And this, I believe, is what results in the letter to the Ephesians. So, let's begin. Ephesians chapter 1. And this morning we're just going to take the first ten verses and whammo. These ten verses just bubble over with spiritual insight and wonder and godly truth. I I actually had a really tough time trying to decide where I was going to start and where I was going to finish with this. I mean, obviously I'm going to start at chapter 1 verse 1, but where was I going to finish? And I wanted to take a larger chunk, but I just kept looking at it. And, and I realised that even in these first ten verses, if I was going to cover it in depth, I reckon there's 17 separate sermons I could give you out of this. Um, now, you think that Matthew took a while? Imagine how long Ephesians would take us at a rate of 1.7 sermons per verse. Uh, that would take a while. So, a lot of this, is, we're just going to be skimming through this today. And some of it, because it's a lot of introductory stuff and he touches on a whole heap of stuff and we might come in as we go through the letter, he brings some of it out in more detail later on, but some of it he won't. But we're just going to skim through it. So, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, there's something important there for us um, and it's in that word, apostle. The title apostle isn't one that we use much today. And if, you, if you're not in the church, you probably never even use the word apostle. An apostle is someone who is sent. It's someone who's been sent out on mission to plant churches and to spread the gospel. But biblically, an apostle is, is more than that. The, the word apostle is actually, it's, a, it's an office, it's a designation, it, it's a qualification um, and it's not something that anyone can choose for themselves. The first apostles, see apostles are chosen by God and the first apostles was when Jesus gathered together his multitude of disciples. All right? Jesus had heaps of disciples and he gathered these together and it was from these that he designated 12 of them as apostles. And then, of course, Judas was one of those. So once Judas hung himself, then they had to find another apostle to, to replace him. And they, the church gathered together and they decided, all right, well, an apostle has to be somebody who was with Jesus from the beginning and was with him throughout his whole ministry. Right? There were other disciples, not only the twelve, who followed him all the time. And um, so they chose somebody who had been with Jesus right from the time that he was baptised by John the Baptist, right from until the time that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so they had been eyewitnesses to the resurrection. They knew the risen Jesus Christ. And they came up with two likely candidates, and they prayed about it, 
and they cast lots. And can, it, can it, does anyone know the name of the fellow who was chosen to be the apostle? Anyone know? Nope, nope. Matthias. Matthias was the one who was chosen. And then there was the apostle Paul. And Paul was a bit different to that. Because Paul wasn't somebody who followed Jesus right through his ministry. Paul, uh, at this stage his name was Saul, right? So his given name was Saul, good Jewish name. He used to persecute Christians. And he was actually on his way to Damascus. He'd just overseen the the martyrdom of, of Stephen. He held people's coats while they stoned him to death and he approved of that execution of the Christian Stephen. And he was on his way now to Damascus to do the same thing. And on that road, he is blinded by bright light and, and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And it was there on the road to Damascus that Christ revealed himself to Paul. And he changed his name later on to Paul because he was sent as an apostle to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, of course, were Greek speaking. And Saul was a Jewish name. The, the uh, Greek version of that is Paul. And that's, that was the name that he was known from then on. And so he's sent off into ministry. So apostles are chosen by God. Now, I want to be very clear here. Always be very wary of anyone who claims to be an apostle today. There are apostle-like gifts, and we talk about the gift of apostleship, which is like a spiritual gift of being able to go and plant churches and... and, um, It'd be the sorts of gifts you'd be looking for in a missionary type person. Um, But in my experience, most people who actually claim to be an apostle are claiming for for themselves an authority that no man or no woman should have. See, the, the apostles were given enormous responsibility in the early church. They were responsible for getting the truth of Jesus Christ out there and known and available. And an apostle, one chosen by God for this purpose, um, had the authority to really nail down the truth about Jesus Christ, to to determine church doctrine for all the ages. Um, And so today, the apostolic witness that we have, we find in our Bibles. It's been recorded and it has the apostolic authority. It's right there in our Bibles. And so Paul was an apostle chosen by God. Paul wrote with all authority to make known the truth about Jesus Christ. And as we read Ephesians today, the apostolic truth, the eyewitness testimony, the God-given understanding about Jesus Christ is being revealed to us by the words that the apostle Paul wrote down but we believe it is the word of God transmitted to us throughout the ages, first of all through the Apostle Paul, then through the written word and being interpreted to us by the Holy Spirit in our hearts as we read it. The words of scripture are powerful. They are authoritative. They are a gift from God to be cherished by us and studied. Not to be worshipped, We worship the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. Some of us seem to to worship Father, Son and Holy Scripture. Uh, No, we don't worship the Bible. 
but they do the the words of the Bible do reveal to us the God who is to be worshipped. Now, some of you might not like some of the stuff that Paul has to say. And one day I encountered this when one of my ministers said from the pulpit, I'm going to take that Apostle Paul to task one day over some of the stuff that he said. And I just shuddered. I just thought, wow, that's treading on dangerous ground to say stuff like this because God has given him the authority to speak and and it is God's word that that they are actually criticising. The Apostle Paul was chosen by God to reveal God to us. And I thank God for it. So, that's the author, the Apostle Paul. Who are the recipients? Well, Ephesians is a letter and its address is to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, most of our Bibles have all of those words, to the saints who are in Ephesus. But some of the earliest manuscripts that are in existence today... um, do not have the words in Ephesus. They're just dropped out. So it's to the saints. Um, You see, Paul probably wrote this letter originally to one particular church and we know that church to be the church in Ephesus. But whenever one of the apostles wrote a letter, the whole church realised that this was something of great value and worth, not not just for the people it was written to, but for other churches as well. And so they would pass this letter on and they'd each want a copy of it so they could read it again and study it and and learn from it. And so they copied it. Uh, Big job back then. No such thing as as, uh, photocopiers or even today if you're visiting somebody and you want to copy something, what do you do? Just pull out your phone and take a photo of it and, hey, I've got a copy, she's all good. Back then it was a laborious task. Um, Papyrus was expensive and you'd buy a scroll of papyrus and you'd have to copy it out by hand. Um, and so they'd copy it and they'd have it to, to study for themselves. And that's what we're doing today. We're reading someone else's mail. But although it was originally written for another church, we know its value for us today. And so we're reading it today. In a tiny little church, thousands and thousands of kilometres away from a place called Ephesus where it was originally sent, and thousands of thousands of years late. Now, you think the mail's slow for us sometimes. Um, took a couple of thousand years and we're, we're just reading this letter and guess what? It's still fresh. And it's still relevant. So the address is to the saints who are in Ephesus and a faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, some of you might read that address and go, oh, that's to the saints. Well, well, that cuts me out. Uh, I'm no saint. Well, well, don't be too hasty making that judgment about yourself. A saint is a biblical word for a Christian. It means holy ones. Now, because of the influence of, of Roman Catholicism and their canonisation of saints... We generally have a wrong idea of what a saint is. Basically, a saint is someone who has been made holy. A saint is somebody who knows that they are a sinner, 
but by the grace of God and in his mercy, our sins are forgiven as we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I know um, one time I, uh, at one stage I started calling Ron Shonfish St Ron. I said, how are you going St Ron? And, and, um, and about that, and it sort of gave me a bit of a quizzical look and finally after about you know, three or four encounters and I say, how are you today St Ron? Um, he said, what do you mean by that? And um, because he's very keen to make sure that it wasn't lining up with, with um, the Roman Catholic idea of, of sainthood. <laughs> and I said, well, Ron, you know as well as I do that the Bible refers to Christians as saints, so you're a saint. Oh, okay, well, I suppose that's all right then. <laughs> and, and, um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just thought I'd share that as a bit of an illustration. Uh, don't ever get confused with the Roman Catholic idea of saints. They pray to saints, although if you talk to ones who actually understand the Roman Catholic theology better, they say, no, we don't pray to them, we pray through them, we ask them to bring our prayers to God. But we should never do that because our Bible tells us that we have one intermediary between us and God and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, You don't need somebody better than you to take your prayers to God on your behalf, because that's the idea of praying to the saints, right? You know, that God's more likely to listen to them because they're better. Um, I'm able to approach them because they're not as holy as God. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is our intermediary. And guess who the saint is? It's you. You're a saint. Saints are those who are made holy by God. You don't need a St Christopher or a St Jude or a St whatever. Never pray to any man or woman, living or dead. We pray to the one God through the one intermediary, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. I could address you as St Narina. St. John, St. Sue, St. Roy, St. Scott, St. Melissa, St. Declan, St. Ben, St. Justin, St. Heather, St. John, St. Mary, St. Jake, St. Neil, St. John, Saint, Saint, Saint Jack, Saint Billy. Did I get on the right way around? Uh, uh, I forget. Who have I missed? Who have I missed? We've got Saint Verity over here. We've got Saint, Saint, Saint Robin. Not Saint Robin. Yeah, I lived with Robin. So it just didn't roll off the tongue. Saint Tyrone. Um, how many kids have I missed so far? Oh, oh, we've got St. Brandon and... Oh, there's somebody behind a book there. Saints everywhere. Saints everywhere. St. Michael. Got to, got to be careful because they call one of the angels St. Michael. Um, you are a saint because you are one of God's holy ones. I'm a saint because I'm one of God's holy ones. 
says, to you saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful greeting. You know, when I went to school they taught us to write letters and it always started, well, a, a business letter would be dear sir or dear madam and really no greeting. Uh, a personal letter would be dear so and so, hope you're feeling well. What an empty greeting when you read this one. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The traditional Greek way of starting out a letter was to say grace. The traditional Hebrew way was to say shalom, which means peace. But in Christ, the two to come together, peace and grace. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You know, today most people are very shallow in their quest for blessing. Most people are just looking for some kind of physical or earthly blessing. It's very shallow. But here was Paul. Paul was in prison and he couldn't concentrate on, on shallow earthly blessings because they weren't there. He was locked up. But he was able to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, there is a faith that has a real depth to it. Anyone can recognise and desire earthly physical blessings, and, and that's what so many people today seem to crave and worship and long for. Health, wealth, freedom, family, a long life. Now, yeah, all these things are nice to have. But if that's what we're craving, that's a very shallow craving. God has blessed us with something far better than that. He's blessed us with spiritual blessings. And he's blessed us with stuff which is far better than what we have here. He's blessed us in the heavenly places. You know what that means? It means no matter how bad things are going for you, it means that even if your daughter's just very badly burnt her leg... It means even if one of your loved ones has just been blown out of the sky for no apparent reason, you've still got a reason to praise God. And that's why the Apostle Paul, bound in chains, could just overflow with his praise for God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purposes of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. My head's about to explode here. Do you understand how... how I could say, we could get 17 sermons out of this stuff. It just keeps coming and it keeps coming and it keeps coming as he's just overflowing in his praise for God and describing God in his, in his praise. One of the most beautiful and yet maligned doctrines of the Bible 
is the doctrine of predestination. Let me explain it. Before the world was created, God chose you to be his adopted child. Now some people get a bit upset by that because they then start thinking a bit wider than that, thinking, well that means if he chooses some, that means he chooses not to have others. And No, no, let's just look at it in its most simple form. Before the world was created, God chose you to be his child. To me that is just a beautiful doctrine. And we have all done this in, in one way or another. Um, who here has ever gone to choose a puppy? Or a kitten? There's a, quite a few hands gone up. Now when you go to choose a puppy, how many puppies does mum and dad let you bring home? One? Maybe two at the most? Three? Four? When has mum let you bring four puppies home at once? (coughs) Now we go and we choose a puppy or choose a kitten or whatever and we've chosen to bring one of them home or two of them home and to bring them into the love of our family. Now that doesn't mean we don't love the others. doesn't mean we don't like the others. It just means that these ones are extra special and they are chosen to be part of our family. And we have the right to choose and bring that one or two home. And before the world was created, God chose you. He wanted you as part of his family. Now how does that make you feel? Does anyone here have any feelings or is it all frozen out of you? Very special. Very special. It's an honour. It's a privilege. It's love at its greatest. We are chosen to be holy and blameless before God. Now, there's a couple of words there that are very important. Before God, we are holy and blameless. Now, not the whole world isn't going to see you as holy and blameless. You go into a, in, into a Muslim country. Who gets the blame? Christians do. And when you become a Christian, even in Australia, people outside of the church are going to start judging you harder. Oh, they're supposed to be a Christian. Look at them, they go and do such and such. In their eyes, you're not holy and blameless. But you are holy and blameless before somebody else. Who? God. In God's eyes, you are holy and blameless. Because God God only knows just how deep his forgiveness goes. And even in our own eyes, we mightn't be holy and blameless. We think, oh God, I just keep confessing the same sin over and over again. And God goes, what sin? Now, God's word tells us that when he forgives us, that he remembers our sin no more. Now, for me, if Michael remembers something no more, it's because the Alzheimer's starting to kick in. But with God, it's because his will, he is determined to forget about that evil side of us. And he says, 
You are holy and blameless before me. Now, I've gotten way behind. Where am I up to? In love he chose us. In love he adopted us. According to his will he blessed us in Christ. He's brought us back with his blood. He's forgiven us for all of the wrong things that we've done. He's given us a clean slate. He's expunged our record of wrong by his grace. I didn't deserve this act of grace. You didn't deserve this act of grace. It is God's love, mercy, kindness and grace by which this is done. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. That that means wrongdoing, by the way. So sin is our attitude toward God. The things we do wrong, uh, uh, trespasses, uh, are the things that we do because of the sin that's in us. And he's forgiven us for both of those. According to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. Did you know God makes known the mystery of his will, but not everybody gets it? Have you ever noticed that? The way the good news of Jesus Christ can be preached and some people just don't get it. Some people are struck by, by the, the love and the mercy of God and it changes their lives. They discover a mercy that overcomes all their sin, all their wrongdoing, all of their rebellion and pride and shame, that they, just, that they leave it all at the foot of the cross and they're chang- changed. But others just don't get it. Why is it that that happens? Why is it that Two people can hear exactly the same message and one is cut to the heart and receives Christ and the other rejects Christ and their heart is hardened even further. In God's wisdom and insight, God makes known to some the mystery of his will. Some will get it, others won't. And so don't get discouraged. If you're sharing your faith with someone and they don't get it, don't be discouraged. Somebody else will. God will reveal his mystery to somebody else. And keep praying for that person because God may not have finished with them yet. Keep praying that the Lord will reveal to them the mystery of his will. So what is God's will? What is the purpose of all of this? Why did Christ come? It says here, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God's plan is no little matter. God's plan is far bigger than the individual. It's bigger than me and it's bigger than you. We live in a fallen world and God's plan is to redeem the whole world. 
And when Christ returns, we know that all that is evil is going to be cast out and burnt up with fire and all that is good is going to remain. And it's all going to come under one head, which is Christ. There will be no more sin. There will be no more pain. There will be no more rebellion. There will be no more aircraft getting blown out of sky. That's God's plan. That is what God is working towards. You know, today we sometimes find ourselves feeling, God, what are you doing? Times when we just see pain and sadness and suffering and uncertainty. God, what are you doing? Well, in Christ we know what he's doing. We know what he is working towards. There is a plan. And his plan, which we have no right to question by the way, his plan is in the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. That's what we're looking forward to. That's the spiritual blessing. And God has begun to make us ready for it even now. He's been preparing us for our part in his plan. He's been preparing us by making us his holy ones. Without holiness, you can never be a part of God's eternal plan. And that's why he's making us holy now. And if we could only realise that God's plan is to unite all things in him, then we've got some work to do. Sharing Christ with others. Making known the mystery of his will to others. Do you know what? God has chosen a big family. God has chosen an enormous family. God has chosen many people to be saved and a lot of those haven't yet been told. God has enormous adoptive power. You know, when we go and choose a puppy, we choose one or two at the most. But the scriptures tell us that it is not God's will that any should perish. How many men and women, boys and girls, do you think God wants to adopt as his children? How many? All of them. Every single one is God's desire. Sadly, many will reject him. And many have rejected him. But also, sadly, many haven't yet had the invitation. So never give up. Keep inviting. Keep making known the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God is reconciling the world to himself. Well, I reckon that's enough for today. Is anybody's head full? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My head's full.